Hello and welcome back. It's time for Say What, where we hear from those connected to our industry and about what's going on in our world of electrical apprenticeship. And that includes the topics that you're suggesting, so please keep those coming. I'm your host, Cindy Sandifer, and Todd Stafford, our executive director, will be joining us on this episode as well. Safety is defined as the condition of being protected from or unlikely to cause danger, risk, or injury. And it's a staple of our industry. The work that we do is essential, and it's also dangerous, making it crucial and critical that we put safety first. And today we're chatting with Palmer Hickman and Scott Margolin about this very important topic. And just an FYI, we recorded this episode in March, so there could be updates um, to the information that we share with you. So our industry works with electricity and while it's beautiful to have power, it's dangerous, right? I mean, this is, this is dangerous work, um, important, essential, but dangerous. So I'm curious to both of you why you chose to focus your professional careers on safety in our industry. Palmer, I'm, I'm looking at you, kid another movie (laughs) well that's it's a great question it goes I think it's a fair question to ask everyone that's involved in the safety industry Uh, oftentimes we'll see people that sort of they are designated as a safety person we we asked this in our OSHA classes and our 70 classes how did you become the safety professional for your company and it's sort of like well it's almost like a bidding war. Who has the highest number? Who has the OSHA 10? Every hand goes up. Who has OSHA 30? A few hands go down. Who had taken a 500? It's, you know, a few more hands go down. Who's taken a 502? So whoever has the highest number is now the safety person. So sometimes you're just sort of accidentally thrown into it. But for me, and everyone has their own story, I can remember the, the moment that a second-year apprentice died literally five miles from where I lived on a job, second-year apprentice, and everyone on that job said, somebody's going to die on this job. And sadly, it happened. So I, that was sort of a defining moment for me that I need to make a difference. And I think everyone that's ever worked on a construction site has been frustrated by the inattention to what really matters. Uh, so we've all been in the computer room. It, and I think a lot of it's, it's poor scheduling. We're in a computer room when they're sealing the floor where the painters are wearing respirators, but they expect electricians to keep working. So I just really, there needs to be a voice for the working men and women of the country. And that's really what drove me to want to try to make a difference. So. IBW and Apprenticeship and being able to represent the industry on many different committees, 70E, the National Electrical Code, 70B, Equipment Maintenance, 79, Industrial Machinery, to be an outreach trainer, uh, to teach a 10 and 30, and then to become a master instructor to be able to train trainers to teach the 500 and 502 has given me the opportunity to take everything the industry had given to me. And I think being in the industry, in the industry and understanding what we're faced with uh, to try to advocate for the worker. That's So I worked at the Knoxville JTC and the safety instructor, he did our OSHA first aid CPR, and he has a story, you know, of something that happened to him and then something also that he witnessed. And he, and that's why he became so passionate about safety was, and I think experience does drive that. And then it also makes you maybe more credible as an instructor, as a professional, you know, because people believe like you've experienced this, you've seen it, and you understand how dangerous it is. Now, we know you like to swim with sharks because this is the Arc Week guy. We, we are like privileged, you know, to have you. But, but with regarding this other passion that you have for keeping people safe, uh, tell, how did that happen for you? Sort of backdoor. Uh, in college, I joined the volunteer fire service because it seemed like a cool thing to do and great way to meet women, yes. <laughs> which it was. <laughs> but when you do that for a while and you see burn injury, 
uh, mm. firsthand, and you're in and out of hospitals and emergency rooms with that stuff, it makes a lasting impact. And I, when I exited the, the fire service, left, left college, I went to work for DuPont in their Kevlar and Nomex businesses, which are their fire-resistant fibers, because I had the interest on the fire service side. Uh, and it was led the Nomex Flash fire business for a bit. So that was the, the genesis of it. But what it pretty quickly morphed into, kind of to Palmer's point, OSHA acts for the, for the utility industry to get into arc flash protective apparel in like 1994, right? So that's a few years after I've started in the DuPont Nomex business. And I'm sitting back looking at it going, there's almost 2 million electricians in the United States between utility workers and commercial and industrial workers where there's you know, put the fire service aside, there's a couple hundred thousand people who have a flash fire hazard. This is a, a greater hazard that affects more people and electrical mm. burns, in my opinion, are worse uh, than, than some other burns. Uh, so that was when I started to turn my attention to arc flash. There's just a lot more people that need protection. Arc flash hazard was way misunderstood, not understood. People didn't know what an arc flash was hardly until the late 80s, right? What is an, stop that. What is an arc flash in case someone <laughs> doesn't know? Like, let's just, what if someone listening doesn't know? It's bad. Know? It's bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's it. My oversimplification <laughs> is when the electricity is supposed to be inside the wire, it gets outside the wire. But what it is is the fourth state of matter. It's plasma. Uh, so you can look at all the fancy definitions of what an arc flash is if you like. But uh, it is really, really, really hot. <laughs> mm. It tends to spit a whole lot of molten metal that's also really hot. Um, and it, it can ignite things in a fraction of a second. So it's uh, not good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at any rate, that was the genesis for me was recognizing there's a brand new hazard. The hazard's not new, but the understanding of the hazard was brand new. Ten times or, or five times as many people who had that, that hazard. And then bottom line for me, and he's heard me say this a million times, in my opinion, body burn is the worst injury a human being can suffer. Mm. It is psychologically devastating in a way that no other injury or illness I'm aware of is. In terms of uh, out-of-work time, you know, moderates and stuff, you're out of work. Uh, Jason Brosen is a, for instance, 14% uh, body burn, but out of work for seven months. Million dollars in, in direct and indirect medical costs for something $120 worth of PPE would have fixed. So I got angry, kind of like you did. Got angry at this, this mismatch between what's obviously necessary and what's being done. So I'm gonna go, and Palmer and I uh, got to know each other, what, 24 years ago or so now? about that same sort of inflection point in the industry where this can't continue. We got to figure out how to save people. Yeah, if 80% of the burn injury is caused by clothing ignition, it's that simple. If you could fix 80% of something that's wrong just by an investment in arc rate requirements, it's like, it's a no brainer. It's just like, but the awareness is not there. People have known about electric shock forever. And since the dawn of electricity, you know, we come up with GFCI, we come up with the rubber insulating gloves and rubber insulating sleeves and rubber blankets to protect against the shock hazard. But I think even still today, people still don't know about arc flash. Great. And and it's so 35,000 degrees Fahrenheit, four times the surface temperature of the sun is the temperature at the arc. So nothing on earth can withstand it. Obviously not and not a worker, so. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I'd love to say it's, it's not just about arc rated clothing. It's about stop working energized if you don't have to and recognize the hazard if you're going to choose to work energized. And after that, to Palmer's point, it's really simple. Three words. Don't wear fuel. It is that stinking mm -hmm. simple. Everything else is fuel. This isn't. Right. Not rocket science. Right. And that's like, so I tend to be, I'm not a numbers driven person. I'm more, you know, words and thought and emotion. So as you're sharing your experiences, that reaches me. But then when you start talking about these percentages, these numbers, and like we can fix it, would you say $120 of PPE could stop? I mean, that's like, come on. Like even a non-numbers person gets that. Do you know what I mean? Like it is like, it's like it's lives and it's anyway, sorry, safety kind of draws, it draws me in because it impacts all of us. Yeah, if like we it, use the seatbelt analogy, you know, are you going to try to put your seatbelt on real quick as the accident's happening? Or are you going to try to put your fall protection harness on as you're falling? You know, you don't expect to be in an arc. It's, it's usually they thought it was electrically safe or they didn't expect to work energized that day. So if you're wearing, other than fuel, if you're wearing arc-rated garments all day, every day, then one less decision needs to be made. You forget to go put on your arc flash coveralls before you cross the arc flash boundary. That's what a lot of people will say. Well, we know what OSHA says, that we have to protect our worker against arc flash before they cross the arc flash boundary. But a lot of times people don't even know they're gonna 
across the earth flash boundary. Mm. And one of the mo most common energized tasks is voltage testing. And, I, and it's funny, Scott, and Scott invited me to be part of Shark Week. Uh, we did an episode, and he asked me to demonstrate energized work. And as I thought about it, I thought, what would I feel comfortable showing people that this is justified energized work? And you know, you think about data centers, we're faced with that. We're faced with uh, the, the circuit feeding, maybe a ICU. Right. And yeah, so the employer has to demonstrate that it's infeasible or a greater hazard. But at the same time, I think we have to ask ourselves, isn't there backup power for that data center? Isn't there backup power to that healthcare facility? And the answer is yes, then really, I think you'd be hard pressed to say, we need to do it now. Isn't there a time we could schedule it? Uh, and even if, you know, even the best trained workers and the best laid plans, stuff happens. And if it happens, what are the consequences? So the only thing I felt comfortable showing was the, and if you saw that episode of Shark Week, was voltage testing as part of lockout tagout or establishing electrically safe work condition. That is energized work. Can only be done by a qualified person with a hazard assessment for shock and arc flash. So that's what I felt comfortable demonstrating. So I think even the recognition that lockout tagout is energized work only to be done by qualified people with a hazard assessment, for sure wearing shock protection because until you've proven it's de-energized, it's still energized. And even the word de-energized, I think people misunderstand what that means. De-energized is one step of lockout tagout. De-energized is not equal to lockout tagged out. It's not equal to an electrically safe work condition. So until you've completed all the steps of lockout tagout, until you've completed all the steps of establishing electrically safe work condition, and that is you verified absence of voltage and you made sure your tester is reading zero because there is zero voltage, not because your tester doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So even when I hear people say, we only ever work de-energized, I'll say, so <laughs> does that mean you only work energized? And they were like, no, did you not hear me? I said, well, when you look at what OSHA requirement says, if it's de-energized, it's still considered energized. So it sounds counterintuitive, but that is because it's only one step. So until you've completed all the steps of lockout tagout, until you've completed all the steps of establishing electrically safe work condition per 70E, only then is it what most people consider de-energized is the equivalent of electrically safe. So that is probably the other than the term speed limit. <laughs> speed limit seems to be most people think that you have to be going at least that fast. <laughs> You know, so when people say de-energize, they misunderstood what de-energize means. They think it's electrically safe. So that's what pe I think from my experience, when people say we only ever work de-energized, they don't really understand mm -hmm. that it's not the same as electrically safe. It's not the same as locked out tag out. Mm. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. But so two, two comments You're on the task based versus daily wear. That's a great point. The third leg of the stool don't work energized if you don't have to people are gonna work energized. Uh, and if you do recognize the hazard and don't wear fuel, but the third piece of it, to Palmer's point, is if six of the seven tasks are energized, meaning you think it's de-energized and it's not by OSHA or electrically safe work condition, why in the heck would you have the PPE on to do the lockout tag out, to confirm absence of voltage, to confirm the voltmeter works, then stop the job, take off the PPE, do the work, then you gotta put the PPE back on to re-energize, confirm presence of voltage and remove the lock, that's nuts. So the third leg of the stool arguably is, why would you ever go to task-based? And uh, so putting the philosophical pieces aside for a minute, you look at the injuries in arc flash from 20 years ago when 70 was brand new. Put aside the utility, mm -hmm. but the inside guys and gals. The vast majority of them were people who did not have arc-rated clothing and other PPE. Now, today, you look at what's happening and a significant chunk, over half, of the arc flash injuries that happen are to people who were issued the PPE and to Palmer's point, weren't wearing it. Mm. It's in a bag in the truck, it's in a bag at the office, it's outside the building. They have it and they didn't wear it because it was task-based or they were convinced it was de-energized and obviously it wasn't if there was an arc because they're not following the proper lockout tag out or electrically safe work condition rules. And it's just, it really makes you angry when you sit where we sit in this industry and you see case after case usually weekly and sometimes daily, where you go, that didn't need to happen. That didn't need to happen. That didn't need to happen. How much of this are we going to put up with? Right. And it's becoming probably even more commonplace now. We have 
multiple energy sources and somebody didn't account for an energy source. So solar, wind, uh, energy storage, things like that. So, so battery backup, there's just so many more opportunities, sadly, for we think it's we've accounted for all energy sources and we haven't. A lot of, yeah, that's, that's a lot of the, of the problem, right? To your point, there's another feed. David Wallace goes on about that in the Shark Week episode, Arc Week episode that you're talking about. <laughs> Season three, episode five. I think I probably said Shark Week too, <laughs> yeah. so we don't want to step all over them. Yeah. Arc Week. Arc Week. So as, as a quick heads up for the listeners here, uh, DC, Palmer mentioned energy storage. Yeah. Mike, I personally and my company are all over the emerging EV market, uh, but the DC arcs are not well understood. You go looking for a DC arc flash expert, good luck. If you find somebody that thinks they are, they disagree with everybody else. It's, it's a, people don't know very much, and what they do know seems to be on paper. So mm-hmm. uh, while this is not public, Adam mentioned it publicly, Palmer's aware, we went to the lab and we did DC arcs on purpose two weeks ago, exactly the same way we do the AC arcs. Mannequins wearing flammable clothing, arc-rated clothing, 40 cal kits, you name it, and DC arcs are different. Now, they're not enormously different, and from a practical perspective to an electrician, same net effect. You're going to ignite fuel. You're going to not ignite arc-rated clothing. But my knee-jerk, on based on one day's data, which is not a lot, uh, is that they are a little more aggressive, maybe because they're, they're a 15-cycle arc. Is, it's on for 15 cycles. It's not on and off. I'm, making, I'm just speculating there. But we do now have and will be shortly releasing DC energy storage arc flash videos to aid that market in their, in their safety training. And to that point, I think among the many benefits as a Platinum Training Partner that Tyndale brings to the ETA and our IBW NECA family is, I'll speak just to the portal where they have access to a lot of training aids. Oh, yeah, the, we're very proud of the ETA portal. Uh, thank you for being, I don't want to make this about Tyndale, but uh, what that this is. This is about safety. So, about you know what I mean? If that's safety. where, where Tyndale tool. is, yeah. exactly, so exactly. So bottom line, um, you know, there are companies and, and in our business and every business, right, where it's transactional. You trade money for the product and that's that. That's not Tyndale. We are truly trying to be partners in safety, and that includes making very significant investments in research and development and training aids. And so particularly for the IBW and the ETA, uh, we have a portal, the ETA portal, which has, I don't know if it's hundreds, but it's dozens at least of videos that are all brief, narrated, downloadable, and educational, non-commercial on, you name it, what is an ARC rating, ATPV versus EBT, what's an ARC flash, you know, what, what are the, stand, whatever, you name it. If there's a subject you want to know about, chances are you have free access through the ETA portal to instant, whether it's a, a five-minute tailgate, you know, via iPad out in the field, or you're doing an hour-long class uh, in a classroom like this one, it's all there, it's all free, and again, it was created specifically to raise awareness of the relevant issues to stop people getting hurt because let's face it uh vis- visuals are are where mm-hmm. it's at especially with arc flash right? yeah so whether it's yeah. one of our instructors training in the classroom or whether it's one of our contractors trying to convince the customer why we need to schedule a shutdown yeah. it's you know and, and all there. of arc week is right there too arc week <laughs> so go see palmer yeah go see <laughs> and jason palmer yeah jason ianelli like that's well you know as you all are talking it's like what's the cost of not doing it like that's what, what's the cost of not having the research done, having those tools available? What's the cost of leaving that in your car? You know, and it, like, and it's, and it's not, it should be enough to, to, for your personal cost because we each have people that love and care for us, right? We're the, the world to some people, but then there's the people around you, you know, that you're impacting. The, the, oh, that's oof, the people around you. The cost is, there's a bunch of ways to look at that. So purely financially, one of the arguments against this arc-rated clothing used to be it was expensive and uncomfortable and ugly, right? You, so I'll come back to cost, but you can, this weighs the same, looks the same, same, I'm wearing, I shouldn't mention the brand name Bottoms, but you <laughs> buy them in your personal life, not arc-rated. Uh, so it's come an enormously long way. The cost has too. Uh, this stuff is probably $10 more for a pair of pants and maybe 10 or 15 more for a shirt, depending on what you buy, than what you buy when you're off the clock. So the cost is insignificantly more money than regular street clothing, for one. The cost of not wearing it, risk is a combination of the likelihood or the frequency of an event and the consequence, right? So arc flashes, thankfully, are relatively low frequency in the scheme of things, but they are almost always catastrophic in terms of consequence, burn injury. So the cost, uh, I'll say again, so let's say it's 120 bucks for a pant and a shirt, and then it's another, what, 100 for a face shield and a hard hat? 
Um, that face shield and hard hat is, da- you know, you get one of those. You got five sets of pants and shirts. It's five or $600 per person per year to outfit them with arc-rated clothing. According to OSHA, at any rate, your average arc flash costs several million dollars. The average. It's sadly cheaper to die. Uh, the med- body burn is the second most expensive hospitalization that there is. It's also much longer term, particularly if you have third-degree burn because you're typically putting reserve funds away because you're going to have surgeries for years and years and years later. So that's the financial. The, the psychological cost is unlike anything I'm familiar with. Anybody who knows a burn victim knows this. You're in the hospital for three or four or five or six or eight or ten weeks or worse. Um, who's mowing the lawn? Who's taking the kids to the soccer practice? Or, so it requires enormous amounts of community involvement that most other injuries just don't. Yeah. Well, our mental health, I mean, we talk a lot about that anyway, how important it is, as important, if not maybe more sometimes, than our physical health because of how it impacts our physical health. And when you have any kind of injury to your body, it's going to impact you. But then you start talking about that and then the cost and how that weighs in and the time and how that weighs in. And will I ever be able to do what I did before. And Todd, I've seen you shaking your head a bunch. I just didn't know. I want to make sure you get to to jump in if you want now or later, but just, I know you're agreeing with all this, it seems. Oh, very much so, Sid. And as far as agreeing with them, I can't say anything better than what these two gentlemen have already talked about between Scott and Palmer, the experts in the industry when it comes to safety and the gear related issues. We want people to equip, prepare, understand all about the art conditions that could happen on the job site. Because as electricians, all of us in this world, whether we're linemen, journeymen, it doesn't matter, inside or outside. Uh, we all know somebody has been burned. It's happened. But it all doesn't happen. So anything we do to mitigate the, those chances of having that happen on the job site, we always push that. We always will. And it's one reason why I'm so quiet in this episode, because I don't have to say anything. You have two experts speaking here now today. Just milk them for all you can. Let them go. Yeah. Yeah. It- well, the, so the cost should be enough to drive. We don't never we never know what's going to convince somebody to invest in safety, but you know, and we don't want requirements to be the reason that we do things. But we do have the requirements on our side. OSHA is very clear. NFPA 70 is very clear. Uh, so OSHA requirements is what OSHA will cite. They'll look to 70E for two reasons: is there a feasible way to comply? Yes, it's NFPA 70E. And is it a recognized hazard? So yeah, arc flash, arc blast, electric shock are all recognized hazards. So even if OSHA had to go all the way back to the general duty clause 5A1, that has been the law since 1970, the employer should provide a workplace free from recognized hazards. So what are Mm -hmm. recognized hazards? So we can talk about falls, we can talk about trench collapse, but in the electrical world, Shock, electric shock, arc flash, and arc blast are recognized hazards, and NFPA 70E is a feasible way to comply. So I still remember going to a a safety conference probably close to 20 years ago, and at the end of the conference, they said, what was your takeaway? And we were talking about 70E, and and I said, here's my takeaway. OSHA's is shall, it's the law, and 70E is the how. Because OSHA, by design, often writes in performance requirements. They want to say, here's what you have to do to protect workers, but they don't want to tell the employer how to comply, just that they have to comply. So I think that's why 70s become so popular, because saying provide a workplace free from recognized hazards, and even you know more so when you get into the construction standard part 1926 or the general industry standard part 1910, they give you what you shall do, but they don't tell you how to do it. So I think that's why 70s become really the de facto, and and I think that really works well. OSHA's a shall, you must do this, and 70s is a how, here's how you comply. So we don't often disagree, but I'm gonna gonna disagree a little bit. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm gonna get on soapbox. I was like, can we put something in between you? I think Jerry Springer (laughs) is gonna have No, not the way you think. (laughs) 70E is awesome, and it's only half as awesome as it ought to be, and here's what I mean by that. It drives me nuts every, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. 70E's been out, to your point, for 22 years, right? Or, I'm sorry, 70E has included arc flash since 2000, so 23 years now. Arc flash has been in there. Um, there are about 1.5, 1.6 commercial and industrial electricians, million that is, in the United States, to whom that standard clearly applies. And yet, in the first six or eight years that standard existed, it was awesome, and lots and lots of people got compliant with it, and lots and lots of lives were saved. 
and lots and lots of mental anguish for people that would have lived right. but would have been horribly burnt. And yet, since about 2008 or 9, the numbers of people who are exposed to arc flash and to whom that standard clearly applies and have not acted, their companies have not acted, mm. it's been static for 10, 12, 15 years. And it, to me, it drives me nuts every day when I, stuff comes across the desk at least weekly where somebody clearly was in harm's way, the standard clearly applied to them and they did not have the appropriate PP and they're injured or dead. And mm. so, while I, the standard is outstanding, my point was what I said I might disagree a little bit, it's only been embraced by about half the people in this country who need it. And my goal for the rest of my career is to see that number of non-compliant people of 70 go to zero. Because that will mean, and if you, if you look at the fatality statistics, you take the, arc, the shock out and look at the arc flash fatality statistics, when utilities got arc flash compliant, fatalities plunged. And then when 70, and they leveled off. And then when 70E came out, fatalities after about 2003 or 4, 170, he got some, some momentum, plunged again. And they've kind of leveled out since then. And my goal for the rest of my career is to raise the awareness and drive the people who are dying who don't need to be for lack of a $60 shirt to zero. But what that's going to take is the other three quarters of a million people to whom 70E applies getting the awareness of the hazard, stop working energized, and wear PPE. Don't wear mm -hmm. fuel if you're going to insist on it. Right. And I, I, I like the, the, for those of us that aren't in the safety world, maybe aren't even, you know, from the electrical industry, to, to have that clarification of OSHA is shall, but they're not telling you the how and having the how. I mean, I'm one of those people like, nobody can know everything, right? There, you know, and so it's important to call upon experts like Todd was talking about you all and, and listening, right? Here's the data. Here's the research. Here's the experience. To, so it's like OSHA's telling you, yeah, you got to do this. But that's, you can't leave somebody in any, a doctor, right? If you're seeing your physician for a condition and they say, yeah, you got to bring your blood pressure down. Okay. And how, how do I do it? Right. They typically would follow up with diet, exercise, medication, things you can do to check. Right. And so having those two together is essential. Um, you know, and so it's like, follow it. Like to me, I'm, I, I understand I'm, I'm a little removed, but like, you know, the shall and here's the how, why? And there's a third leg to that, too, that Palmer and I were talking about in the lobby. And if he gives me this sign, I'll stop talking about it in this format. But <laughs> OSHA is the shall, what you shall do but not how to do it. NFPA 70E and other similar consensus standards are the how because they're the industry experts. But what the NFPA 70E experts are not expert in is how to rate the fibers and fabrics and garments for their protection. So that's where the ASTM standards or if it's, if it's high-vis, ANSI or other third-party standards come in. And that's why it's so important to make sure that the third-party standards that tell you how to evaluate your PPE options are referenced in the mm -hmm. how. So you've got OSHA's the shall, 70E's the how, but there's an important third leg there. How do I decide what meets my, mm -hmm. my uh, PPE needs? Right, right. And we, we've said 70E, look, he's, <laughs> well, you got it. You just weren't looking at him. So yeah, uh, 70E, Palmer, there's, a new addition coming out. Like what, what are the changes? What are, what are we going to see? Yeah. So as we look at 70E is the how, uh, I guess we've gotten it so perfect now that all we do is move stuff around within the standard. I'm being facetious. Here. <laughs> I'm, I'm using the extreme example. So as we look at the 2024 edition come out, uh, it, it sort of continues with the trend of what happened in the 2021 edition. We move things within the standard by and large. So things that were in Article 130 go into Article 110. Things that were in Article 120 go into Article 110. But I think the thing that will be the biggest change that will be helpful is that the general rule says you still establish electrically safe work condition. That's the general rule. And there are, there are actually five exceptions to that. They were written not as exceptions, but they will be again for the 2024 edition. So I think that'll be helpful. It's more obvious because they are exceptions, the general rule is you shall establish electrically safe work condition. There's two conditions related to that, and then there's five exceptions. So I think that is it. But from a big picture standpoint, I think the fact that NFPA 70B, Bravo, has now become a standard rather than a recommended practice, this mm -hmm. is going to be huge. So one of, one of the key things you need to know about how to protect workers is what's the available fault current? what's the clearing time of the upstream overcurrent to protect the device and its condition of maintenance. 
its condition of maintenance as sort of the wild card. And 70E really doesn't tell you what to do about that. So now that 70B, Bravo, has become a standard that will make, where it's adopted, that will make uh, maintenance mandatory, give you explicit directions of how often this should happen. So for example, wh why does maintenance matter? If you thought it was going to clear in six cycles, and it cleared in 30 cycles because it had to main, been maintained properly. And sometimes it's just as simple as the lubrication. It dried out and it's gonna open more slowly. So people that you thought were outside the arc flash boundary are now inside the arc flash boundary. And, yep. I'm sorry. No. And if you went from six cycles to 30, that's five times the energy because cycle time is directly related to incident energy. So if you were supposed to clear in six and it clears in 30 in your example, and so you thought it was five calories, it's 25. So Anything you're wearing is ignited at that point if it's flammable. And if you're wearing a Cat 2 garment, you thought eight cows was good because it's supposed to be five, and in Palmer's example, it's 25. Your garment's not on fire, but you're burned through it. So this maintenance is vital. Yep, so there's the two pieces. You thought you're outside the arc flash boundary, you're wearing fuel, you're in now in the event, and what you were wearing based on six calories is inadequate based on the actual, you know, what the event would have been. So I think, there's, there's many things that we would look to from 70B. Uh, now that maintenance is mandatory per NFPA 70B, and it's often referenced in NFPA 70E, so uh, we're, hopefully we're gonna have more maintenance going on. The downside would be there might be more people involved in events if they don't do a proper hazard mm. analysis. Yeah. And that's so. my concern. So. I that's exactly, exactly that's going to agree with exactly. Even though the maintenance requirements comes into play, how that's going to be performed, but it can also increase incident energy or exposure to someone not familiar with the process. Exactly what Palmer's saying. Exactly. I worry about that same thing when it came out. Me too, yeah. So uh, just to kind of put a little bit of a bow on my 70E comments, I, what, I'm the chairman of the board of something called the Partnership for Electrical Safety. And the main point of the Partnership for Electrical Safety is that NFPA 70E should be adopted countrywide immediately as the standard for commercial and industrial electrical safety. Uh, so if I, when I was making that joke about it, I don't entirely agree, it was because you know, we feel strongly that it should, should be law, and it isn't. Mm -hmm. To the 70B piece, to hop on Palmer and Todd's point, I'm, this is keeping me up at night. I mean, I am thrilled it's a standard now, and I'm hoping it's adopted widely, but what I picture in my head is a whole bunch of companies that haven't done any maintenance, any cleaning of this gear for who knows how long, you get conductive dust in the knockout. So you're doing nothing more than opening the door to clean it and boom. I, I, I personally picture a world where for the foreseeable future, we may have more people in harm's way with less training, less qualified, with hot, with, and it's just a numbers game. If that happens, you got more arc flashes, period, because more people are opening more gear. You can't service it, you can't maintain it, right? Without doing that. And, and so that keeps me awake at night. I believe it's absolutely urgent that we as an industry that safety leaders like OSHA and NFPA act along with 70 being, being made mandatory to recognize the potential uh, impact of that on people. So, okay, so again, here we are. <laughs> Me, here's what I'm hearing. We should have, because we all understand maintenance. It doesn't have to be, like we understand maintaining, be it your house, your car, your clothing, like whatever it is you have, right? And so maintenance should have been going on always and it hasn't so now we're having to say no this has to be done to keep us safe makes sense right so now we're maintaining it so that these expectations when we go to work on something and it's supposed to take six cycles it's not going to be 30 but the problem is when we go into start maintaining it because we haven't been we're actually introducing ourselves to a dangerous situation is that similar like am i on the right track uh, yeah, that, that's my point, that five or six or eight years from now, we'll be in less dangerous position because the equipment will have been caught up, ideally, right? It's been properly maintained. But while people get, go sticking their hands and heads in gear that hasn't been opened in years to do what 70B now, I, that, I personally believe that means there will be more people in harm's way, which just it's a numbers game. There'll be more arcs. And I fear that those people are less qualified than because it's maintenance, maybe, than Palmer and I would like for them to be. And I fear they're even less likely to have the PPE. And I'll say again, of the million and a half electricians in this country to whom 70E applies, less than half of them have the appropriate PPE. Mm. So numbers game. Yeah. Well, let, yeah. So there are 
plenty of organizations that are qualified to do testing and have been doing testing. So, you know, let's hope that that's the folks that are going to do the increased uh, maintenance. I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going to make a prediction and say 70B will be like 70E. It will be the how to comply. That's what really mm -hmm. was missing. It, it made, the recommended practice was there. There's other there are other standards that are out there that have already told us, and including manufacturer's instructions. So if anything, we now have a how to comply with the shall. So I'm, I'm hopeful that really the missing piece in 70E, we keep pointing to the importance of maintenance, and we keep pointing to 70B, where it was a recommended practice, and now it's a standard. So um, I'm just hoping it'll raise the bar and give us better better equipment because at the end of the day, if you walk up to a piece of equipment, and I think many of us that are hearing or watching this have probably been in that in, been that, uh, in that case, myself included. Oh my goodness, that thing hasn't been touched in 20 years. Be careful, you know. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy feeling. So. <laughs> What do we right. what do we do? We have to get it maintained. And you know, you don't know. And and can it be restored back? You know, so if you don't change the oil in your car for two hundred thousand miles, you'll probably know it a lot sooner than that. But if equipment hasn't been maintained as it should have been, you know, can it be restored just by doing maintenance one time? That's what we need the people that are qualified to do that mm. to make that determination. Amen. And if I wasn't clear, I, I apologize. I'm absolutely supportive of and thrilled that 70B is now mm -hmm. mandatory. I'm just spinning out in my head. We, we all know the IBW has got better better trained, better qualified people with better people, more likely to have the PPE, more likely to wear it. Mm. My concern is the other piece of the pie um, who aren't today, mm -hmm. any of those, well, many of those things. Right. Uh, and the potential consequences of that as we get compliant with 70B. Uh, you yeah. do, uh, I'm from the Philadelphia area, as is Palmer. Uh, without telling there's a utility there, there was an arc flash and a piece of equipment I have the video of. It's kind of funny, but it was 102 years old. It was, uh, I believe, a, a transformer, like one of those oil-filled switches. That the, the glass was so cloudy they couldn't see through it. They were trying to use a chain you know, to get it a distance. How do you – I mean, there's no manual on 102-year-old equipment. And that's some of right. what people are going to go get their hands in. Yeah. So my hope is that things like moments like this, right, not to like boost our podcast, but so, these conversations, whether it's someone listening to something like this, seeing something in an email, like ideally it's like, okay, let's w raise our awareness, you know, and we're spreading it to those that are in the industry, whatever their, their position and place, you know, so that they're asking the questions, they're, they're double checking um, the work, you know, going to the people that are making these decisions. Um, I, I think that's right now we're, we're awareness and action, you so know. There's, um, there is a new, I don't know how familiar you are with this, Palmer, but there's a new potential. This is, I really almost hesitate to go here, but you asked about cost earlier and you just mm -hmm. brought the cost piece back up again. What is the cost of acting to protect mm -hmm. your people and the cost of inaction? And the numbers are about as disparate as you'll ever see it, right? Mm -hmm. Body burn cost versus you could outfit every electrician in the United States with five or six or 10 sets of this stuff for vastly less than we spend on the medical care for the few catastrophic injuries that happen. But that those budgets are separate budgets, right? Mm -hmm. But there are uh, the Department of Labor and the Department of Justice actually got together in the United States and followed, I think it was Canada that originally did this, but there is now an agreement that the DOJ can criminally prosecute individuals who use money. So if you have in writing in an email somewhere, and I'm not an attorney, and I don't play one on TV, and I wasn't at a Holiday <laughs> Inn Express last night, but my wife is an attorney. At any rate, in theory, and I've seen this happen, not an arc flash yet, but I've seen it happen where an executive, whatever level at some company says, no, don't buy that, it costs too much. Somebody's injured or killed. The, the company can't hold them separate. They are now personally criminally liable at least in theory, if not in practice yet in the U.S. So that's another potential, hopefully, motivator for people to right. reevaluate uh, the whole invest in safety concept. Right. Yeah, you're, you're personally on the line now if you make a decision based on a couple of bucks rather than practical reality. Right. Well, and yeah. I think as we talk about what would make someone change their mind and do the right thing, what mm. the law requires... And we really talk about it in our curriculum in chapter one. So the culture that exists. So 
Is it because they don't know what the hazards are? Is it because they don't know what the requirements are? So, you know, decisions. Like, we're going to, we have money to spend on a holiday party or company picnic, but we don't have money to spend on PPE. You know, is, does that kind of thing ever happen? You know, so where are your priorities? And I, so I think we are still, sadly, creating an awareness of the problem. There's, there's hmm. people that still don't know about our flash. It's hard to believe, but you know, thankfully it's been in our apprenticeship probably 15, mm -hmm. 20 years now. And, uh, we're from the ground up as, you know, as well as the top down, I think the tide is turning, but there's still a lot to do. Amen. Yeah. The cultural tide's always slow to turn, right? It takes a generation yeah. if you're lucky from my chair, when you go out in public, uh, or you talk to hazard analysis people who label your equipment and who are doing this daily for a living. They walk in someplace and nobody's got PPE. So what happens? Either they've gone task-based, they have a kit bag in the truck. Uh, even pre-COVID, by the way, this was disgusting hygienically. We got one kit for 10 people. You're right. going to share that thing. Post-COVID, ooh, right? You know, <laughs> yourself in a And they're hot and there. sweaty, so that's you yeah. want to get in that after somebody else wore it in a previous shift. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, I'm done. And since nobody owns it, who's cleaning it? Nobody, right? Nobody. Nobody. It just sits in that bag and molds. But at any rate, so that's a big piece of it is that they can check a box that says they're compliant, they sleep at night, and they're not because nobody's wearing the equipment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we know Countless, including uh, Brandon Schroeder, who uh, um, I guess Believe in Safety is his site, IBW brother out of Cedar Rapids. Right. Uh, uh, at any rate, that's, that's classic his case, his mm -hmm. accident, his incident. Uh, great story. Well, uh, uh, a compelling story. There you go. Where yeah. the company had issued a kit, he didn't have it. So that's a big piece of it. The second big piece of it, in my mind, is what Palmer talked about earlier with lockout, tagout, electrically safe work condition. People say, I'm aware of the arc flash hazard. I'm aware of the 70 requirements, but I don't need any of that stuff. I don't need to watch more Golan's videos. I don't need to go to Palmer's classes because I don't work energized. Bull. <laughs> 90, well, I don't know what the number is, but unless you're pulling wire and new construction, not connected to the grid with no temporary power, you're working energized, at least according to OSHA and NFPA 70. Is that a fair statement? It is. And I think uh, the IBW Director of Safety had mentioned that. And I know uh, if, if David Long and, and uh, David Wallace. Well, David Wallace from OSHA were in the Shark Arc <laughs> Week. It's hard happened to break. Yeah, <laughs> uh, relaying that information. So they thought it was de-energized and it wasn't. And uh, was relaying an electrical pun? Uh. Wow. <laughs> Even I do an eye roll on that one. <laughs> if Palmer gives you an eye roll, it's bad. That doesn't mean I won't done. be using it, but it's just bad. <laughs> oh, he'll use it. He'll take material. Man, it's it's just so much. You know, and we, we talk about this in a lot of different uh, areas. You know, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. I wish that were enough. I, I just, I do. I wish it were enough in all, again, so many arenas. Um, I, I do... For the most part, most people I don't think are evil, right? They're not doing things to harm and hurt. It's just, yeah. They don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lack of awareness. knowledge and yeah. awareness and education and so forth. And so, and then you've got the people that just don't care. And when money and power start getting into play, we've got a whole different thing. So my thing is like, do something because it's the right thing. But if that's not enough to motivate, do it because there are legal and financial and all these ramifications. So if you don't care about the right thing, do it because it's gonna, it's going to bite you at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an insurance <laughs> expert, but the mod rate thing, uh, which a lot of NECA contractors have helped me to understand over the years, it's based on how long you're you're out of work, right? Well, what is longer than body burn injury? That's months and months and months, and that directly affects your ability to bid on jobs. In some cases, to continue to exist as a company. Uh, so th there's another piece we talked about. Uh, lack of awareness and, and, and other stuff. There's also sometimes an individual resistance because they perceive this stuff, the arc-rated clothing, as heavy, uh, as sweaty, as uncomfortable, as ugly. I don't want to wear that. So, there's a, so it's not just the companies mm. and the financials. It sometimes is my people aren't going to want to wear it. Mm. And so I, mean, I know I'm going to sound like a salesman here for a minute, but if you haven't put hands on this stuff pre-pandemic, you need to check it out again. There have been massive leaps in technology I mean, just like the cell phones we pull out of our pocket today look nothing like the ones we had 10 years ago, this stuff too. So there are now at least seven different shirts, like the holy grail of 70, Rick Palmer was always, give me something that weighs the same as a dress shirt. 
feels like a, like a, like a regular, super lightweight, comfortable, wick sweat, whatever. It just feels just like regular clothing. And they didn't exist, let's face it. They were heavier. They shrunk a little bit when you washed them, and they got even heavier still. There are now seven different options that are five and a half ounces or less. That's the weight of a dress shirt, including the one I'm wearing right now. Uh, they, so you can't tell the difference between your regular clothing to wear it, to feel it, to wash it, anything. Um, there is one that's 4.7 ounces, which is T-shirt weight. And I'm talking Cat 2, by the way. All of this, eight cows plus Cat 2 from 4.7 to 5.5 ounces. A cotton T-shirt is four and a half ounces if it's cheapy, five ounces if it's a good one. You know, one of the beefier concert tees that doesn't right. go turn to garbage in a year. There's uh -huh. Cat 1 base layers now. Base layers used to be garbage, right? They were six ounces or heavier. They were expensive. They were, it's not a T-shirt. It's an outer shirt. Yeah. There are now base layers that are four ounces, lighter than a cotton t-shirt mm. from multiple companies, quicker drying. They're, now they're not, can I say like brand names, Nike or Under Armour, they're not that kind of quick dry, but sure. they're quicker drying than cotton. Every bit is soft and lighter. So that's true of both Cat 1 base layers and Cat 2 shirts. The denim mm. has always been, you can't tell the difference. Some of it, like you can't see what I'm wearing right now, but I got as much embroidery on the back of these pockets as there was a guy in... Uh, in West Louisiana, I'm, yeah, West Louisiana, who called these his Saturday night jeans. You know, they, he goes out <laughs> dancing in them. So my point, the weight, the comfort, call it what you want to, but the style has been dramatically changed mm. as well. So the excuse for not doing yeah. it the, the, is gone. Right. So, so that's, that's a great point. So compliance is not an option. That's, you know, there would be a lot of arguments why we wouldn't do it because of cost, because of comfort, because of we don't know what the hazard, but the law is clear. You got to have protection. If you're exposed to the hazard, that's where OSHA and 70 align. OSHA will, and, and this is really, I think, the next step, and I think OSHA is working on this, is from what I hear, while we're grateful that they have letters of interpretation for general industry and construction that recognize 70E, so it'd be exactly what we talked about earlier, two things need to happen. There's got to be a recognized hazard, and there has to be a feasible way to Comply. And, and it's 70E, and OSHA has recognized that. Mm. So we have letters of interpretation on both general and construction, but they're outdated in that they're based on probably five or six editions of 70E ago. The numbering system's different. The, the thought process is different. So it would be nice if we could get OSHA to update their guidance and recognize more recent editions of the standard. And so a lot of what we do... <laughs> I request and Scott tries to accomplish. So, any news on that front? Wow, uh, boy, there's a tee up. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do agree with Palmer. I know to a certainty that OSHA is currently revisiting their arc flash guidance. Don't know what will be done. Don't know if something will be done. Certainly don't know when something will be done or what it might say, but in my capacity as chairman of the Partnership for Electrical Safety, I have interacted with OSHA. Uh, relatively frequently recently, and so I'm com comfortable saying to Palmer's point, they are looking at this. They are well aware that the standard has existed, or ArcFlash has been in that standard for 22 years, and despite that, three-quarters of a million Americans remain unprotected every day, and that the consequences of that are in the neighborhood of a fatality a week as a result of ArcFlash. Not shock, and uh, the safety director of the IBW was kind enough to help OSHA understand some of the consequences because data on this, let's face it, you read a newspaper and it says explosion, it says fire, it says electrocution. They don't know what an arc is. Most of this stuff comes from the emergency room at admittance. They have no clue what happened. So OSHA absolutely now understands that mm. half, half the people to whom 70 applies don't have the PPE. They absolutely understand at this point that the consequences of that failure are about a fatality a week and a couple of thousand injuries a year. Mm. Uh, the question is, what changes and when, but I, right. you know, again, no crystal ball there, but if you weren't aware and you're on the fence, I, you know, I can, I can feel action coming. Mm. Well, and, but the good news is the requirements that we need to protect our workers are already in place. Since 1970, provide a workplace free from recognized hazard. Both general industry and construction, very clear, do a hazard assessment, provide protection based on a hazard assessment. In this case, electric shock, arc flash, and, you know, so we can talk about, is it affordable? Well, you can't, you don't really have an option. You have to provide the protection required by the standard. So it's, it's not optional 
to do the right thing? It isn't. Uh, but looking at it from a financial side, I put myself in, you know, safety director at a unique contractor or whatever. All right, so 500 bucks a year. Eh, that's what, a buck 50 a day? I mean, that's, that's nothing. I mean, it is, it is not optional. But the fact is that compared to the money that gets spent in our industry on other things, it's a drop in the bucket. And this stuff lasts, you know, three, four, five years. The FR, at least with my company sells, the FR does not wash out. You're not retiring it from service for those concerns. Uh, but it's not like you have to replace it every, every month or every year. Mm. Uh, it looks, feels, washes, and wears like regular clothing. Right. It's only marginally more expensive than regular clothing. It's, right. You're right. It's, it's required. But if that's your impediment to doing the right thing, guys, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. if I can... I'm not sure I'm going to quote it correctly, but I've heard David Long say it. He, did, he didn't want to have to meet people he never would have had to meet. So you're meeting yep. the family of a mm -hmm. fatality or an injury. You're meeting their doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals. You don't want to meet the people that you otherwise would never mm -hmm. have to meet. I think that's a pretty powerful statement. Right. David right. is extremely powerful on that subject, and you can tell it's because he care, it's passionate about it. And on the, on the ETA portal that Palmer talked about earlier, there is a message, a video message from David Long mm -hmm. uh, and also from Lonnie Stevenson prior to his, obviously prior to his retirement that y'all can download and take a look at mm -hmm. where he says exactly that. Excellent. I was thinking about the clothes. I'm like, man, I have to replace, you know, shirts and pants. Mm -hmm. and You know, so it was just like you spill something on them, whatever, or mm -hmm. just wear and tear. Like you don't mm -hmm. spend the money for the most expensive. So to say something lasts as long as you did and doesn't wash out. But okay, I got one final thing for you all. If, you if you're talking to a new electrical worker, someone that's just got accepted into the apprenticeship, about to begin this new career, they're super excited about it, and you've got maybe 30 to 45 seconds with them, what are you going to say to them about workplace safety? So again, it's just you've got this brief moment for this new person about to step onto a construction work site, what I'll, would you say? I'll, I'll start with, you know, so there's never going to be a short answer for me. So <laughs> they're going to be late to work. <laughs> I think, I think know what you don't know mm. is the first key. And so the OSHA 10, I think I'm going to speak to the OSHA 10. I think people expect it to be more than it is, but it is, it is for entry-level worker awareness training. And I think this is the opportunity that we have to make them aware of the hack. Because we only have 10 hours to make a difference with this type of worker. And I'll, I'll have you take a step back to the outreach trainer. That's what we call the person that teaches the OSHA 10, the outreach trainer. We semi-kiddingly say, You'll know when you're successful in your Saturday class when you get a call on Monday saying, what the heck are you teaching these people? They won't stand in front of this energized equipment anymore without rubber insulating gloves, without leather protectors, without arc-rated garments. They'll refuse to do it. What the heck are you teaching these people? They're telling me they're not going down in that trench anymore without a trench box. They're telling me they're not going to you know, work near that opening in the floor without guardrails and mid-rails and tow boards or a harness. Mission accomplished. When you're getting those phone calls to say, what the heck are you teaching these people? That's when you know. So we can't learn everything at once. And thankfully, we have Ocean 70 on our side from this. Only qualified people can work energized. And when we think about, everyone has a tool list. And in many cases, the voltage testers on the tool list. So if they have a voltage tester, I would think you're expecting them to use it. So recognizing that that's energized work that requires a shock risk assessment, electric shock risk assessment, requires an arc flash risk assessment, requires likely PPE. To be a qualified person, you have to have documented demonstration and proficiency. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit. So people entering the business, I'm talking to literally there's probably somebody today that's going to, you know, there's somebody working in the, in the field today that is exposed to a shock hazard without shock, electric shock hazard without rubber insulating gloves and leather protectors, that they didn't air test them before they used them, that they didn't make sure they were electrically tested within the last six months. It's just, it's endless where mm. you could go. There's so much to do. We're always trying to move the needle. I know we always want wholesale change to happen overnight. We have to be patient. 
we'll, we want to move the needle. And, you know, we're always looking for low-hanging fruit. And for the last probably year or so, we've been talking about in our regional seminars and at NTI and any place that anybody gets a chance to listen to us, it's we have to think about at the JTC too. I mean, mm -hmm. on the job, in the JTC, are they, are they working in a motor control center lab? Are they exposed to shock hazards there? I've heard, oh, we have an e-stop button. We have a one amp fuse. Well, is that four to six milliamps? Is that going to provide shock protection? So there, there's low hanging fruit. We want to move the needle. I'm saying there's even things lower than low hanging fruit. There's fruit <laughs> that we're tripping over. All right. So I'm saying we're tripping over pumpkins and watermelons on our way to get the low hanging <laughs> apples and oranges. So there's things that we can do. There's there's so much to do. You almost don't even know where to start. So. Yeah. So what, where, where do you, you know, what do you teach the person? You don't want to scare them out of the business, but I've, I've kind of, you know, kiddingly said this in the interview process, if you show them arc flash events, the ones that stay may not be the ones that you want, you know, the ones that leave because they're afraid, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm using a little bit of levity here for a various, very serious topic. Mm -hmm. Um, so so how patient are we supposed to be when we're stacking coffins up every week? How, how tall does that right. pile have to get before I'm allowed to be impatient? Um, I hear you, and I agree with you. Practical reality. Oh, I didn't say I'm patient. No, I know. I'm just oh. <laughs> we didn't question Neither that. Neither one of us is, right? But, but the rest of the industry who, who view us as impatient should understand that what drives that impatience is watching coffins pile up on a weekly basis on medical bills. So from my perspective, First thing I would say to that person entering the business is go recruit your buddies. We need more electricians. There aren't enough of them. We're electrifying this country. We're struggling to, to recruit the IBW. Go get more of your buddies. That would be one. Uh, two, um, obviously don't wear fuel, but mm. I would say to that person, what's the most important thing about your job? Welcome to the trade. What's the most important thing about it? And 90% of the time, the answer you get is the paycheck. No, your, your spouse partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, does not care about the money if you don't come home or if you're in the hospital or the burn center. Uh, so that's number one, kind of reconfigure what, what work is about. You can't provide for your family if you're not there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, recognizing um, that no culture, I, I hesitate to use the word macho, but there's a certain, like the police were the same way with ballistic vests. Uh, the military was the same way with vests and helmets. Uh, this, our country's been through this over and over again. There's a certain culture, a certain expectation in, in, certain, in certain jobs and trades. No culture is worth dying over. Right. Okay. No shortcut to get something done a little quicker is worth dying over. No need to complete a job because somebody else is in a hurry is worth permanently disfiguring yourself mm -hmm. over. You picked a really cool trade. You're going to make a lot of money. This country for the foreseeable future is electrifying everything. Congratulations. But... The last thought I'd leave them with probably would be, so you know what I do for fun. I have a lot of hobbies people think are nuts. <laughs> the majority of people who die doing them and the electrical trades the same way are either brand new rookies who don't know better or seasoned veterans who have done it a million yeah. times and gotten away with it. We call that, uh, there's a, a term NASA invented for that called uh, normalization of deviance. Mm -hmm. But so that this new person falls on one end of that scale, right? Be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, focus. Don't. Don't have your mind on the ball game you're going to go to or where you're going to eat tonight. Right. And go home because that's your first responsibility. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All of it. Yeah. It's, it's just being safe, working safe for yourself, for those around you, for the people you love and that love you. Um, and so that we can do our work. And our I'm work thinking, is important. I'm thinking Todd probably thought of a thing or two that we didn't think oh, about. Yeah. So yeah. from a big picture perspective that he sees with our Nick IBW family and yeah. what's important to all of them as well. It is, Palmer. And you see the comments all the time from our leadership about the concern for all the membership size, you know, for as an employee of a NECA contractor or whether it's an IBW worker in the field some industrial facility, that, that concern is there and it addresses their thoughts every day. They get used to have, um, and still do, as you see, still have the comms call between the leadership of both sides of our industry and they always compare, you know, what's the safety concern, what we can do to help our members. Uh, what you guys are doing here is definitely is going to move the needle. It'll move the needle some, which is a good why we do it. It moves some, we'll be all, but we'll, we'll always be working to make it better. And they realize, appreciate that so much as well. 
Absolutely. And, I, and that's a great point. So there's no question, as Scott mentioned, uh, international president Kenny Cooper, I'm sure it keeps them up at night. We know it keeps David Long up at night, keeps Scott up at night, keeps Todd up at night, keeps me up at night. It's mm -hmm. just we won't rest until, you know, it, it stops happening. Mm -hmm. Amen. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. there's a lot of problems in this world that are complicated. This isn't mm -hmm. one of them. OSHA says shall. 70E is the how. This is an easy one. Don't wear fuel. It's right. not that complicated. Right. Justify energized work and stop wearing fuel. That's an easy fix. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the wrap, right, is don't make this complicated. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is something we can we can fix and do immediately. Mm -hmm. We can fix it immediately. Overnight right. if we have the will. Yeah. yeah, so sadly, you know, whether it's not news anymore because it happens so frequently, but, you know, there's many things that we see in the headlines that happen every day that people say, this can't happen anymore. We have to do something about it. And, you know, OSHA, sadly, you know, through my 40-some years in the trade, uh, has been often considered a four-letter word. Well, we know it's not a four-letter word. It's a four-letter acronym. <laughs> They're on our side. <laughs> they, we have the requirements in place to protect us. If, if we don't know about them, you know, it's, I, I use this analogy, you get pulled over and you'll say, well, you know, you did this and say, oh, I didn't know that was the law. Oh, well, okay, then if you didn't know it, then I'll let you go. No, that's not the way it works. <laughs> Since 1970, Provide a workplace free from recognized hazards. This is not news. So mm -hmm. to Scott's point, if OSHA uh, renews, it gets additional guidance out, it'll renew the focus on arc flash. Maybe that's what it'll take to light a fire under people, oh. pun intended, to, you know, help. Just like just like when uh, 70E, and it was, it was a... a OSHA, OSHA, IBW, NECA partnership in Columbus, Ohio, when they were among the first to adopt 70E on a voluntary basis, yeah. And it, it just was, it, 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 people perceive 70 as being mandatory. It never was. And David Wallace was consistent and OSHA was consistent. And the area director there in Central Ohio, the Central Ohio NECA chapter and the two IBW locals. So it was groundbreaking. And it sent shockwaves through the industry and it drove compliance but we've plateaued again i think and we need another spark all these electrical analogies i just i hear it i hear as it as long as we know the incident energy of that spark and our clothing is ready to take uh, it there we go so thank you all for being that spark and all the puns that palmer threw out but i really appreciate your time and sharing that and more so than that your passion um, for people people you don't even know Thank you for sharing it to make sure that we're much safer. Well, I'd like to safer. thank everyone that makes a difference every day for the men and women of this country in the electrical industry, and uh, let's keep making a difference. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you all so me. much. Oh, man. Todd, safety. <laughs> safety matters. Safety always. What are your thoughts after listening to... Well, you hear the passion I have involved about wanting to teach our industry you know, how to work safely to go home every day which is always a concern of our leadership contractors membership of the ibw leadership as well it's there as well as local that's always a big concern and you started out the podcast and discussing about you ever work in a dangerous environment well the issue is it's not a dangerous environment or we can mitigate most of those dangers by just the work processes we go through and so a, a thought of mind process how you learning this is one example arc flash incident energy exposure from an uh, arc flash incident somebody getting burned uh, that, uh, it's not really understood. People understand shock. Yeah, we get to the shock side of it, but the, there's other other consequences that come out of it. Never being shocked, never used to show up as being injured from a, a a fault incident that occurs. This is just exposing our membership, our apprentices. In some cases, in most cases, uh, get a, get a full understanding of what, what they're getting into. Uh, and it's not to scare anybody. It's, it's the danger comes whenever you not know. That's what the dangerous part you speak about because every. Unfortunately, very, very seldom do you find just a true accident happen. It's always from neglect or forgotten procedures, policies are not followed, et cetera, that goes through. And uh, that's human performance issues, all that come into play. Somebody is, I forget what Scott called it, you know, his, his term of relevance, but the NASA uses about the uh, normalization of deviance, which is probably close to what he was saying, which means you get used to doing something one way wrong all the time. It just becomes normal. Unfortunately, that happens. So the, this exposure like is Scott and Palmer bring to somebody that's been doing this race is invaluable. It, just, it really is. The effects of it is 
notoriously is going to help us in many, many ways. It's just one of the podcasts, one of my really enjoyed it because, well, two reasons why I could sit back and listen. We'd have to drive a lot of the conversations. They're passionate. They can do all of them for themselves, which is great. The sacrifice, uh, second thing is how it's going to benefit um, all electrical workers, not just those in our industry, but all workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was looking through, you know, because we always have like some questions to ask and and I'm like, oh, well, they're just answering everything. There's nothing to even like go to. But I, I the know what you don't know. And I, gosh, I could run with that in so many different ways. But that idea of just knowing what you don't know and and being aware um, when we're doing what we do, this work that we do and, and their passion, as you pointed out, just just listening to knowing that they are coming from a place of care. Like, you know, it's like, this is it because we kept cost kept coming up the cost of clothing, the cost of a funeral, the cost of, you know, not just the physical um, things that have to take place after an injury, but the mental and emotional toll that, that, you know, someone has to deal with. And so it's, yeah, it's just, it's the, the cost of not doing this is far too high. Um, so huge thanks to Palmer and Scott, uh, for sharing your knowledge, your experience with us and that passion that is literally keeping people safe. I mean, it's, it's your passion that is driving something that families, you know, are, are thanking you for. Um, I think that's just huge. And, and big thanks as always to the listeners for taking your time to, to join us and remember uh, that we want to hear from you. You know, this is a topic that's important to everyone. There's other things that we may not be thinking about that you are. So please share those with us via email. Say what, S-A-Y-W-A-T-T at electricaltrainingalliance.org. Our next episode will drop in September. And until then, you can stay connected through newsletters, blog posts, social media, watching old episodes of this podcast um, and telling someone about it. Uh, Let's see. I think that's all. We're just going to all stay safe. We're not going to wear fuel. We're going to know what we don't know and stay powered up. We'll see you next time. Say what?